Good evening. Uh, we will continue this evening with our discussion of the Bhagavat Sandarbha, Anucheta 32. Anucheta 32 has uh, a few different sections, so we'll go through them one by one. Uh, the first one has a short title of Bhagavan's form is unlimited. Uh, this is from Sri Jiva Goswami Sandarbha. Now we begin a new section to further establish that the Lord's form is simultaneously limited and all-pervading. By referring to the experience of learned authorities using the Yukta Posanyaya with the principle of fortifying previous experience. First, Sri Brahma spoke the following 11 verses, confirming that what we have seen in the previous Anucheda. So this section, as I said, is, is long. Srila Jiva Goswami is going to, to quote these 11 verses from the tenth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. These are Brahma's prayers uh, after his uh, mystical power was proven to be ineffective against Krishna. Krishna was indifferent during these prayers for the most part. Basically, Brahma had, had inserted himself into Krishna's pastimes with his cowherd boyfriends. He stole his calves and his boyfriends and stuck them away in a cave and went away, you know, went away for a moment of his time and uh, when he returned, the calves and the cow herd boys were still there playing with Krishna. But Krishna did show his, he didn't really, he didn't really want someone interfering with his, his Leela. And it's interesting because what happened is earlier in that same day, the cowherd boys came across this huge snake in their path, Agasura. And they said, oh, what fun. <laughs> it's like an amusement park. Let's go check it out. It's similar to, the, uh, to a house of horrors. Let's see what's in this big cave here. Is it a cave or is it the mouth of a snake? It has a foul smell. Anyway, let's let's go in and see what we can find. And actually, upon entering Agasura's mouth, they they met their their death. They were all basically they had to be brought back to life by Krishna. Uh, so he entered into the demon's mouth and uh, and and killed Agasura and revived all of his cowherd boys. But as soon as he killed Agasura, while he was still inside Agasura's body, uh, Agasura's soul left his body and rose up in the sky and just stayed there. And it was so bright, one soul, because it had been purified by being touched by Krishna and be, by, by being killed by Krishna, that it lit up the whole universe, this huge bright light. 
all the demigods are praising Krishna for killing the demon and showering flowers as they do. It, but it caught Brahma's attention. It was so effulgent, this light of Agasura's soul. Caught Brahma's attention. He was like, what's going on? It's a bright light in my universe. <laughs> I didn't turn it on. <laughs> Who turned on this bright light? So he personally investigated, and he, when he arrived, when he, he, he perceived what was happening, he saw Krishna and the cowherd boys come out of the, you know, amusement park uh, <laughs> exhibition, and uh, this bright light entered into Krishna's body, and he, the lights went on in his intelligence. This is the same personality in the form of a young boy who spoke to me at the beginning of, of the universe, who gave me that revelation in trance. This is the same personality. And he's, he's playing here with these cowherd boys. And now he's done this, he's killed this demon with his mystical powers. Maybe I should show him my mystical powers. Now, why this thought came across Brahma? Well, it's Krishna's Leela. <laughs> so Brahma said, well, when they sit down to, you know, when it's lunchtime, I'll, I'll show Krishna my mystical powers. Maybe he'll enjoy that. So these prayers come after the whole affair where Brahma had stalled the calves and the cowherd boys and and then he went away for a moment and came back and it was a year on earth and uh, he saw that the the cowherd boys and the calves were still there and he became bewildered he thought he would bewilder Krishna by stealing his calves and his cowherd boys but the only thing that came of that was he became bewildered because he couldn't figure out were those the calves and cowherd boys I stole Stuck away in the mountain. Let me see if they're in the mountain. Yeah, they're still in the mountain. Wait, which ones are these? Is it that Krishna's moving them as quick as I look in the mountain and then I look back to Krishna? He's sitting there and, and having lunch with his cowherd boys. Or is, he, is he moving them that quickly? And he was, Brahma became bewildered. He, his own Brahma Vimohan Leela, he himself was overtaken by bewilderment, he couldn't figure out what was going on. So Krishna showed him his mystical opulence and all of those individual cowherd boys and calves turned into Vishnu manifestations. And then Brahma was gradually enlightened to the fact of, of, of uh, Krishna's mystic opulence and seeing Krishna's mystic opulence and being able to manifest all of these individual forms of Vishnu and then when they again became two-handed forms and, and Krishna showed that he, is, he had expanded into all these forms. And Brahma was, was overtaken with wonder and these prayers are a result of that illusion or mystical uh, 
display uh, for Brahma. But through these whole prayers, even upon their conclusion, Krishna didn't didn't say a word. Somebody's praising me, this guy with four heads who thought he stole my calves and my cowherd boys. Really, you should stay out of my affairs. <laughs> so there was some indirect instruction there. But tonight, as we go through this dialogue, what Jiva's going to do in, his, in this section of his Sandarbhas, he's going to add a little dialogue between back and forth between Krishna and, and Brahma. We find this in all the Acharyas, you know, they will... They will come up with their own dialogue with Krishna and, and just write it in <laughs> to their Shastra. So we're going to hear a little of that tonight. Uh, it's done by Jiva. You'll find it also if you read Vishwanath's commentary. You've seen it again and again. He's, well, Krishna said this, and he would have said that, and he would have said that, and Krishna would have said, well, that's not really me, is it? You know. So it's interesting the acharyas give us some deeper insights into the personality of krishna by speaking on his behalf through through the dialogues in shastra and uh, and deepening our appreciation for uh, the sweetness of krishna and, and his uh, and his interchanges with his devotees so 11 verses actually it's 12 verses as pointed out in the commentary here but in Jiva's, he's quoted 11, so perhaps he's put two together, and we're not seeing those two as one. So one thing that we note with Sachin Arayan Das's comment, he, always, he brings these things out, what we would call a discrepancy, but he never takes sides. This is the way a commentator should. This, is, this Acharya said this, and this Acharya said that. So you know that these are two two different ways of presenting the transcendental knowledge. We shouldn't take it as more than that. It's just being presented in two different ways. So Jiva in his Sandarbha, he refers he refers to the fact that he's going to speak of the eleven verses of Brahma. But if we were to look to the Bhagavatam verses in the Bhagavatam, we would say, well, those are 12 verses. Don't be bewildered by it. It's okay. Jiva can do that. This is Brahma's uh, first verse, 10th Canto, 14th chapter, eleven, verse 11. How can we be compared? How can you and I be compared? He's talking to Krishna. I, an ignorant being, having a body just seven spans tall, consisting of this consisting of this pot-like universe, surrounded by the seven coverings of cosmic intellect, Mahatattva, ego, ether, air, fire, water, and earth, and you, who are so great that countless such universes pass through the pores of your body like atoms through a window. So Brahma is speaking of his position within this one small universe and the position of Krishna. And he's saying, 
there's no comparison between yourself and myself. And even if we look to the construction of our bodies, there's no comparison. So the significance of these prayers is that in them, Brahma testifies from his own experience that the apparently limited form of Bhagavan is actually unlimited. So he's beginning, and, and this is going to be unpacked as we go forward. But, but you can understand that Brahma, in seeing this young Krishna expand into all these forms of the cows and cowherd boys, and then all those cows and cowherd boys becoming themselves Vishnus, uh, more expansions of him, amsas of him, portions, uh, and then and then Brahma saw these these are all expansions of Krishna directly. He's just saying how how can we be compared? I can hide hide the cows and cowherd boys, and you can become the cows and cowherd boys, and you can become all these universes, and all these universes can flow from your pores, uh, just as just as particles of dust would flow through a screen in the sunlight. Maybe you've seen that you know you see it's a fine. So how many universes are coming from from uh, Karna Dakshai Vishnu's body? It's laying there, and these universes are just coming from his pores. I mean, it's it's beyond comprehension. And Brahma's there in one little universe, and he's trying to give us some insight into this personality who is standing before him as a young Krishna. So a little bit of insight here into the nature of a particular universe. Each universe, um, well first there's a, there's a quote to give us, a, give us an entry point into this understanding from the third canto of the Bhagavatam. The egg-shaped universe, one egg-shaped universe, constituted as it is of the eight causal principles and the sixteen evolutes, has a breadth of five million yojans, forty million miles. It's one universe is forty million miles in diameter. Um, and is covered outside by seven sheaths, seven coverings each of which is ten times thicker than the one it surrounds and is clustered together with other universes in their millions. So this just gives us some, some insight. One universe, five million yojans, which is 40 million miles across, um, and then it's covered by seven layers, it's like an egg. Egg-shaped is what it says here, so it's, it's even shaped like an egg, and it's got a covering on it, and it's seven layers. Now, the first covering 
is of earth. And that covering is as thick as the diameter of the universe. The universe is inside a covering as big as it is of earth. Then there's six other coverings. So, those six other coverings going from the outside in would be the Mahat, the conglomerate of all the material elements. You would then false ego. When we say Mahat, we're talking about material potentiality. If you can remember back, it's uh, can be referred to as material p potentiality. Uh, then a hum, false ego. Then sky, air, fire, water, and earth. So going from the inside out, it would be earth. Then ten types thicker than the covering of the earth. The shell of the earth is the covering of water. Then ten times thicker than that again is the covering of fire. And again ten times air, sky, false ego, and mahat. So you can imagine how with how big the shell is compared to the the contents of the shell. It's you know it's well protected. Let's put it, it's not going to be breaking anytime soon. Not like the shell of an egg. It will not be crushed. It's big. And we also get some indication as to the nature of those individual shells from the Brihat Bhagavata Mrita. Uh, Gopa Kumar talks about going through the different layers of the universe and how joyful of an experience that was uh, for him that in each of these different layers they all in their pure form which is what you know what they are as the shell of the universe uh, so you can get some some idea of that of that by reading Gopakumar's account in the Brihat Bhagavatamrita if your interest is there. So there's unlimited millions of these universes clustered together coming out of the pores of Vishnu. And as we said, like dust particles seen in the sunlight shining through a window. You're, you cannot even begin to count them. So if, if Brahma can't comprehend these things and he has some intelligence he has I mean he has four heads how can we begin to wrap our teeny Kali Yuga brain around it it's very difficult uh, it's not impossible it's impossible with good guidance and spiritual discipline to, to enter into the mysteries of these understandings but from an intellectual viewpoint it it's uh, very difficult to comprehend these things. 
and to gauge the size of the Lord's body. I mean, how would you, how can you gauge the size of even Karnadakshaya's Vishnu's body uh, from which all these universes are coming? We can't even gauge the size of our one universe. I mean, they have their their mechanical devices, but they've yet to come to the end. Where's it end? They haven't come to the shell yet. You know, they keep looking. Are those, is everything that's being seen within one universe, or is the shell that we just discussed, is that somewhat of a, of itself, uh, is it figurative or what's the other word? Mm-hmm. Literal. Is it literal or figurative? Are these shells, you know, a uh, a figurative conception of the coverings of a universe? Um, and different acharyas will will have a different approach. So we could say, well. Maybe we're seeing with our mechanical devices many universes uh, when we look out into the evening sky with, uh, you know, light years. They measure in light years. Anyway, I don't know. Let's talk a little about the physical uh, concepts that Brahma was referring to as to his body being uh, seven spans tall. So what exactly was he referring to, seven spans tall? So uh, normally a human form is seven spans. Seven spans means if you spread your hand and from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your little finger, that's one span. Another way to look at it is Four fingers times three. So, twelve fingers together would also be a span. So you can look at it from here, or you can take your four fingers and... Not so much. It may be that our fingers are not (laughs) proportioned, but I, I can see how it's... That's three hands. No, it's four fingers. Just four fingers. Yes, times seven. That's a typical height of a body. All right? But there's people that have special... What? Are you that high? She got it right. A normal person is seven. Vitastis is what that measurement is. Vitastis. Eighty-four fingers. Okay? Seven times twelve. Eighty-four fingers... A great person is nine or 108 fingers in height. That's the mark of greatness and beauty. So when you see the tall people with big hands, you know, uh, that, that's a mark of beauty. But for Brahma, he says, I just have, you know, seven vitas. Going on to the next section of this Anucheta, Brahma's Prayers continue in the next verse of the Bhagavatam. O Sri Adoksaja, does a mother take offense when the baby is in her womb, kicks up its feet? And is there anything whatsoever 
whether designated as existing or not, that is not within your belly. So he's trying to buy a little compassion on the part of the Lord. I'm just like a baby in the belly of your universe, and I've just like a baby. If you're like my mother, and, you know, so I, so I made a little ruckus, a little kick. You, mother's not offended by this, so don't be offended by the fact that I took your cows, calves, and your coward boys. They weren't yet; they were still with calves. So uh, don't don't be offended by this. Uh, it's basically begging for forgiveness in a very. Uh, unique way didn't you know I didn't really want to interrupt your lunch and you know please go back to lunch now it's like an innocent kick the baby in the womb you're not going to take offense of it now are you so he, he's addressing Krishna here as a doksaja which is somebody that's beyond the, the range of the senses no one can understand you I certainly misunderstood you and I've committed offense because I wasn't able to recognize you and the fullness of your majesty. Uh, I have imperfect senses. I'm here in the material world. The clear imp implication being that Brahma's, in this verse by Lord Brahma, is that all existence is within the Lord's body, yet that same Lord is standing before Brahma as a small child. And this section, as I said, the short title would be The Lord's Form is Unlimited. So the it's not limited by the fact that we're seeing a, a small child's form. It's containing all, that form contains all the universes. This will come, in, come out even more as we go forward and Brahma prays, going on to the next verse, My dear Lord, the revealed scriptures say that the unborn Brahma comes out of the lotus flower growing from the navel of Narayan, who lies in the waters of dissolution into which the three worlds have merged. These words are surely not false. So, was I not born from you? So Brahma may feel a little apprehensive, referring to young Krishna as a mother. So he's he's taking a different approach now. Well, actually, I was born from you, Narayan, from the lotus growing from your navel. If you don't, maybe you didn't like the fact that you, I was using this, this idea of being, you being my mother, so you're actually my father. <laughs> I grew from, a, from the lotus flower, from your abdomen. Narayan is both mother and father, and that's stated in the Shastra by his inconceivable power. Now we move forward to that a little bit of that section we, we mentioned at the beginning where Jiva Goswami is going to, since Krishna is not speaking too much <laughs> in the Leela as revealed by Sukadev Goswami in the Bhagavatam, uh, Jiva's going to add a little dialogue here. So there could be a possible objection. And Krishna may object. He may say, If I am, if I were that Narayan who lies in the waters of dissolution, then it could be said 
that you took birth from me. But in fact, I am not Narayan. This is Jiva putting this forward as an objection, Krishna could say. I'm not Narayan. Do I look like Narayan? Do I have four arms? You know, I'm a small boy here playing with my friends, and you're calling me Narayan? So the next verse of the Bhagavatam, Brahma's Prayers, 14th verse, 14th chapter. O Supreme Controller, you are certainly not Narayan, the self of all embodied creatures and the witness of all creation. Narayan is your limb, so-called because his resting place is in the elements and waters produced from Nara. Yet this too is true and is not a product of your Maya. So Brahma is saying that Narayan simply an Anga of you. This is supported. I can support this with Shastra. I can show you that Narayan is, is simply your expansion, your Amsa. An Anga, a part, of, a part of, an aspect of you. And although I am bored of Narayan, because he is a part of which you are the whole, I am in fact born of you. So, Brahma is using a little logic here to explain his position. Actually, I'm not wrong in calling you mother or father. Uh, and you may think you're not Narayan, and you aren't Narayan, but Narayan is you. He's a part of you. So, I was born from that part of you. Your limb, Anga. So, a little bit of the back and forth dialogue Jiva brings in at this time. Well, Krishna could say, well, how do I differ from him? And Brahma could say, he is the indwelling supreme self of all living beings, Nara. So the name Narayan, coming from the root Nara, he's the indwelling self of all living beings. But you are the original supreme lord, unconcerned even with being the indweller of Narayan. So Krishna, he's not, he, he's so magnificent and so, so much involved in his own Leela that although he's the indweller of Narayan, who's the indweller of all the individual living beings, it doesn't faze him. It's not something that's of, any concern to him, unconcerned even with being the indweller of Narayan. Narayan witnesses all entities directly. Antaryami is fully, fully aware of everything that the jivas do within the material manifestation. But you, Krishna, witness the living beings only indirectly through him. You know, directly, you're not directly involved, but he is, he's a limb, he's a part of you. Amsa, and he does, he is aware, he does observe everything. But you do not witness directly. Krishna says, so it seems that your intention is to say that Narayan is not me. 
but that I am Narayan in some other kind of way. How is that? Response, he is Narayan because all actions, ayana, Narayana, I-Y-A-N-A, ayana, of the living beings proceed from him. You are the supreme controller, Adisa. You are called Narayan, just as a governor and the emperor are both called king. So Brahma is saying, in this dialogue that Jiva is presenting to us, he's saying, you can be called Narayan just as the king and the emperor are both referred to as king. Do you understand the point being made? Within a kingdom, both the emperor and the governor of a province can be referred to as king because of their kingly responsibilities. So you can be referred to as Narayan. In the analogy being presented here, the governor would be Narayan, the governor of all material activities, things that have it in the material manifestation. And the emperor Krishna, who's aloof from the details, the day-to-day of the material manifestation, but still the responsibilities of the governor, who's what? He's simply an arm of the authority of the king or the emperor. Then the Anacheda proceeds and Jiva Goswami begins to present the reader with a list of evidences, praman, by breaking down the word Narayan, where Narayan's used in in some specific universe uh, verses uh, within the uh, within the Shastra. So etymological definitions are presented for the name Narayan. And the import of those four verses that are used in the Anucheda is that Narayan is an expansion of Bhagavan Sri Krishna, who comprises of the whole cosmos, is himself within Krishna. So Narayan, who comprises the whole cosmic manifestation, is part of Krishna, in within Krishna. So a nice little... Um, aside here the deeper our understanding um, in the third chapter of the first canto Sutta Goswami he lists 22 avatars but then he goes on to say that Bhagavan's avatars are unlimited just like rivers flowing into the sea So, but he's listed 22 and they're all, they're all plenary, plenary portions or portions of plenary portions of the Purusha Garbhodakshai Vishnu. But Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. So in this section of the Bhagavatam, and that's who Brahma's addressing, we first have the listing of 22 incarnations and then Sutta Goswami explains but there's really unlimited manifestations but all these avatars 
are coming from Garbhodakshai Vishnu. But there's a difference between those incarnations and those unlimited incarnations. There's a difference because those are all coming as portions of Narayan or Garbhodakshai Vishnu in relationship to a universe and Krishna to Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who Brahma is addressing here. And that's also confirmed in the Brahma Samhita, the same idea of the distinction between Narayan and the avatars that manifest in the material universe uh, by Brahma himself at his own prayers. I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord, who by his various plenary portions appears in the world in different forms and incarnations, such as Lord Rama, but who personally <coughs> appears in his supreme original form as Lord Krishna. And then the point is made, but yet Krishna is standing here as a young child before Brahma in one little part of Vrindavan. This is the inconceivable potency of the Lord. And without accepting that as a possibility, we're going to have difficulty understanding the nature of the Supreme. That he has that much potency and that much inconceivability that we need to be able to conceive of the fact that Brahma is speaking to the Supreme Personality of Godhead in the form of Krishna. And that Krishna, within that Krishna, as a small portion of that Supreme Personality, is Karnadakshai Vishnu, Garbhodakshai Vishnu, Kashirodakshai Vishnu, and Narayan. They're all just portions of that one supreme personality. Now we go on to the next Anucheda. Bhagavan's form is not limited by material elements. So Brahma, Brahma is going to recall here his experience at the beginning of the creation. His experience of the Lord's body. And he has had some direct experience. His direct experience was he was sitting on a lotus born from a body which he could not perceive. So the next verse from the 10th canto, 14th chapter, reads as follows. If it is true that your body containing the universe was within the water then why, O oh Lord, was it not externally visible to me at that very time? At the time we're speaking is the, the beginning of the universal manifestation. Why did it become clearly perceptible to me within my heart at that precise moment? It wasn't visible to me materially, but it was visible to me 
in trance. And why could I not see it again immediately thereafter? So we need to unpack this a little bit. What's Brahma saying here? He's saying, I tried to seek out the source of my existence. And I'm sitting on a lotus seat and I crawled down its stem and I cannot find the source. And I believe the period of time he searched for a hundred celestial years. And he, there's, what's the source of this, this seat, this lotus that I'm sitting on? And he could not perceive it. So then he crawled back up and he took his seat again and he heard the instruction, tapa, tapa, and he engaged in meditation, samadhi. And in that samadhi, after a thousand celestial years of meditating in pursuance of that instruction that he heard, he pleased the Supreme Lord and Krishna appeared before him personally in trance. So I could see you. I couldn't see you. I searched for you. I couldn't find you. But then you did reveal yourself to me in trance. And then you were gone. And I couldn't see you again. So that's what this verse is referring to, that whole experience of Brahma. I couldn't find you. I found you. You revealed yourself to me. And then again, I couldn't see you. Now, I'm the creator of the universe. I can see everything. I have four heads. I'm looking everywhere. So you don't have a material form. If you had a material form, I would have seen you when I crawled down the, at the base of the lotus. I would have found your material form there. Or after I came out of trance, if your form had been material, I would have been able to perceive it at that time. So therefore, your Narayan form is neither illusory nor limited by space. Therefore, your Narayan form is neither illusory nor limited by space. So the point being made here is, though appearing in, this, in the form of a small boy, that actually Krishna is all-pervading. And he's the source of everything, including Narayan. What this also shows, and this is going to come out a little further in the next Anucheta, is the Supreme Lord's form cannot be perceived by one's own endeavor. You're not going to be able to do any amount of austerities, charity, yoga, doesn't, the Lord will reveal himself at his own sweet time. And it's only by his mercy that you can see his form. And then the commentator, uh, Satchitarayan Das in his commentary, uh, he relays a, a story from the Mahabharata. In the Mahabharata, uh, Bhishma is in discourse with uh, King Yudhisthira. And he relates to him the story, in order to bring this point home, of uh, King Uparachara. Uparacharya. So this king 
he performed a sacrifice uh, to see the Lord. I want to see the Lord. And he engaged Brihaspati, the great priest, as the conductor of the sacrifice. So the sacrifice is performed, and sure enough, uh, Uparachara got darshan of the Supreme Lord's form and acknowledged it. But no one else could see it, the form of the Lord except him. So you can imagine a sacrifice. There's so many sadhus and munis and devotees around and this one king who is the recipient of the benefit of the sacrifice actually saw God. Everybody else is like, I, I can't see him. A Brihaspati who's the priest who's, you can imagine, he's, you know, he's, it's a heavy duty dude. He became a little infuriated. He said, why can't I see him? And he threw the ladle into the fire. <laughs> he was upset. Why can't I see him? I did the sacrifice. He's just a, you know, what has he done? <laughs> well, whatever he's done, it doesn't matter because Krishna decided to manifest before him and no one else could see him except the king. So from the Mahabharata, this verse is spoken to Brihaspati. O Brihaspati, neither you nor we can see the Lord at our will. Only those he favors can see him. We're going to go on for a few more Anuchedas and uh, go through the rest of the prayers of Brahma. And all this is, again, to, to bring out the, uh, the nature of Krishna and, uh, and this, it really brings out and gives us a deep commentary on the Brahma Vibhohan Leela how much how much sambandhagyan is contained therein. Anything? Yes. Um, there's a lot of points in the Bhagavatam where one does like a sacrifice and the Lord appears before him. Uh, it's just interesting that even though it's not the result like the austerity or sacrifice, mm -hmm. the Bhagavatam, um, just you know, relays stories like that. Mm -hmm. It appears to be to be the result of the sacrifice, doesn't it? Mm. It does appear, and that's why is that? That's because Krishna is appearing through these sacrifices to encourage those who who take this take the Vedic instruction and, you know, they may have a karmakanda approach. So the Lord wants to encourage them. So he may appear to come because of the actions of the participants. But he's not bound to, is the point that's being made here. He's not, he doesn't have to. He does it out of his mercy. He may appear, he may not appear. And just like this, the, uh, the Leela we just uh, 
discussed here at the end of uh, in Mahabharat, the Lord only showing himself to one one participant in the sacrifice and not other not everybody else. So we can imagine in these large large sacrifices that are being relayed in the Bhagavatam that uh, uh, not everybody would have been qualified to see the Lord. So just just like when he entered the arena of Kamsa, the wrestling arena, everybody saw that personality who entered the arena, but how many of those people saw with the proper conception to recognize this is God? See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So there's a qualification on both sides. It's not. It reminds me of a time I, I, I've heard this uh, regarding Prabhupada. Prabhupada was in a kirtan. And uh, from what I heard, he turned to one of his disciples and he said, uh, maybe afterwards, he said, did you see Narada Muni was there at the kirtan, the arti this evening? Did you see? (laughs) How do I answer that one? (laughs) Uh, We we have to have uh, some qualification there. So when we hear that the Lord appeared or he, you know, he comes, it's it's always through his mercy and not as a result of the sacrifice. And in the scriptures where we read that it's a result of the sacrifice, we need to reconcile that with the Vaishnava vision. That, that, that the Lord comes and reveals himself through his own mercy. He's not forced as a result of our actions, especially any material action. No amount of sacrifice, austerity, charity. That's relayed by Krishna himself to Uddhava and Uddhava Gita, the end of the Bhagavatam. I come at my own. Doesn't matter. You're going to get bhakti. Bhakti is also like that. Bhakti is also not bound. Completely independent. Is that okay? Thank you so much. Hare Krishna.